Drive-by Cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Welcome to episode two of Drive-by Cinema. Drive-by Cinema. Rick and my good friend and co-host Paul. Hello, Richard. I managed to introduce myself this you time. You did, well done. That's a big improvement. Well, that's what a pilot episode is all about. For those of us keeping scores, this is very important. Absolutely. Paul, what movie did we have to watch this week? <laughs> have to watch? <laughs> that doesn't bode well, does it? Uh, we had to watch, uh, oh, well, we tasked ourselves with the requirement to watch uh, The Beyond. Which is a little confusing because there are two movies called The Beyond. So perhaps yeah, you... everyone I've spoken to about this has said, "Oh, which which Beyond movie?" Yeah, because and like, I go, I don't because know. people generally have watched these two movies. Strange. <laughs> and what kind of people are you mingling with, Richard? They actually know these two movies. I presume they're looking them up, as most ah, people do. Okay. The power by the power of Google. What was the other Beyond about? Maybe we should have watched that one. I think perhaps it was a kind of mid seventies Italianate or Italian even South Italian uh, Nosferatu kind of uh, gothic horror. Oh, well, that sounds interesting. Or maybe it wasn't. Maybe I just clicked onto some other movies. But when I was trying to find out what the Beyond was, I certainly came across those kind of movies. Yeah, you, know, you know. Before we get on to the Beyond, we the have beyond. to. We've actually got some listener e- uh, mail that's come in. We, we have some listener mail. Yeah, someone wrote to us. Who listened to our they, podcast. They wrote a letter. And wait a minute, Very stop, cool. stop, 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 stop. Richard, I, 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 this didn't come up in the content meeting. You have published our first podcast. <laughs> well, permission was implied. It was right? implied, but where, where exactly? I'm excited. Well, that... That, that's no business of yours. Excuse but... me. I think part of informed consent is, you know, there, there are some ground rules about how you you put my tootsie on display. The important thing is that pilot or not, I feel this like I'm being pimped, in, Richard. This listener was incensed, incensed, incensed by what they described as the short shrift given to oh. given to <laughs> I am mother. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh, well, at least they didn't complain about my rampant sexism. I think it was because we had to deal with seven other movies before we got round to it. Yes, there was an attenuation. There was a pleasure attenuation. And I don't think pain works the same way as pleasure, does it? I think pain is intensified as as time increases. Yes, I mean, we've been under a heavy burden of watching quite a, a large number of movies, one or two of which were dulled turkeys. So... So, uh, my apologies to our reader, listener, listenership. We had been bursting to talk about all of those movies. But the only thing I would do want to say about I Am Mother is I, I liked... Well, you liked it, Richard. I don't think you disliked it. I think I but... did, actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm fairly sure. I just wanted to point out that a lot of the movies that we've watched, there's a huge debt has to be paid to Blade Runner and a lot of some classic mo- uh, sci-fi movies of that era. Yes. Yeah. But particularly Blade Runner. It was referenced certainly on Automata, which, as we said, as we noted, was a, a painful <laughs> uh, sort of yearning to be Blade Runner all the time. There was even a sequence where there was a turtle upside down on the beach. Was there? Wasn't that? Was that in Automata? Possibly. Potentially. I think it was. Maybe. Because that's directly out of Blade Runner. Not that you see it. Ooh. That, it's never that gauche in I mean, a Blade Runner. We don't, it, it's just talked about. Mm. It's one of the questions in the Voight Kampf test. We, we don't talk about Woody Allen these days, do we? But that's something that Woody Allen went before the allegations. He was allowed to do. He was allowed to reference the movies that he was parodying. But I don't think Automata or, any, Automata or Stigmata or... Automata? I don't think any of these movies were parodies. So why are they just nicking content from Blade Runner? I think it's an homage. It is an homage, so, is it? What was the Blade Runner homage avert one in I Am Mother, do you think? If by homage you mean four drunken guys drinking, downing whiskies and singing the Beatles song standing on the bar in your local, then perhaps it's an homage. But No, but what element am I picking out in I Am Mother, do you think? Did you spot it? 
So I'm just curious if you noticed it. No. No, I, I, I didn't. Well, she makes little origami animals. She does, yes. And in Blade Runner, his buddy, Gaff, I think he's called, he does the same thing. Does he? Yeah. You don't remember that? Uh, Blade Runner 2049 is on ITV2 plus one right now. Right now? Wow. And the end of we it should is be... presumably on two, uh, ITV2 minus plus one. We should probably have been watching that. Have you seen Blade Runner 2049 or whatever it's called? Uh, I've seen the beginning... Oh, okay. I think I've Just seen the middle. I'm uh-huh. not sure if I've seen the end, because I think I did, in fact, fall asleep. Are you a fan of Blade Runner? I'm, well, I'm a fan of Vangelis. <laughs> One of the great things about that movie is the soundtrack. There's no question. Yeah, it's yeah. great. I mean, I think the soundtrack makes it in many respects. It's a cliche that I won't try to repeat, that, you know, sound is overlooked as such an important part of movie making but well it being a visual medium principally yeah yeah i mean i don't think it really is overlooked i think people do know that sound is really important and the best movies some of the best movies have amazing sound yes star wars for example the sound design in star wars is certainly equal to if not far superior to the visual style it was it was the first was it the first movie to really put stereoscopic effects to effect, so to speak? That's a good question. Probably. Well, the I big know, fighters. Cinemas... Yeah, yeah. I think I remember watching it when it came out in in in, in the theatre, and I'm pretty sure that the sound followed the fighters around around. Oh the yeah. Screen. Oh, definitely does. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, Star Wars is so recognisable. It's such a kind of hallmark quality to it. You'd recognise a Star Wars Sorry, anyway. I just said they were MiG fighters. Uh, I don't know why I've said that. that was, uh, what do I mean? I'm confused. It's been a long day. You mean a TIE fighter? I mean a TIE fighter, yeah. I'm really sorry about that, everybody. Uh, sorry, Richard, you were saying. Well, you know, the sound of TIE fighters was partly made out of the roar of an elephant. Wow. Uh, it was, was it Ben Burr? Is he the uh, Star Wars sound designer? But, I mean, he won an Academy Award for for his work, but he did... It's pre-digital era, you know, so he was doing everything, recording stuff. On the, on the Mellotron, yes. Uh, they used the Fox sound effects library as well for a bit of it. That's probably where the elephant trumpets came from, but heavily modified, obviously. But Yeah, I'm not sure they put it through. It's not through a Wawa, is it? It's, 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 I, I think it's probably through a Mellotron. What they call a Mellotron or that kind of thing that kind of... That's is that those things where you've got a bit of tape running yes. and they change the speed. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hitchhikers going to the galaxy uh, did a lot of that pioneering audio work as well. Was that Fripp, the guy, the sound engineer? That, that sounds familiar. Well, it was the whole BBC, the whole BBC. What's it called? The whole BBC sound radiophonics radiophonics workshop. workshop, which is a whole industry in itself, is it not? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mention all of this about sound because one of the things about the Beyond, I think, is its failure Um, uh, in the sound department. But sorry, 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 we've digressed quite a lot. Can I just say that the BBC Radiophonics Department is not escaped clangers or potentially wombles? But it would be nice if it was. But uh, (laughs) how do we go to sound? Oh, because you were going to make this point about sound in the Beyond. Well, we were talking about Blade Runner, and That's I was going right, to ask yes, you yes. whether you actually liked Blade Runner. I do like Blade Runner, yes, and I got to Van Gelis, yeah, I do like it. Good, yeah, I think I think Blade Runner is a, a, a nice piece of work, and it's a reasonably thoughtful action movie. So I, I will say, uh, there, there there isn't much good sound in The Beyond, which we're about to review, but at 11 minutes and 31, I noted... Oh, you said that? I, yeah, I, there's momentarily some really brilliant, Blade Runner-esque background music with a big, fuzzy, distorted, horrendous bass. And, I mean, there's nothing happening. I mean, it's, it's completely incongruous to what's happening. I think there's a spaceship slowly moving through the, through the shot. But the music in and of itself is, is, for about 30 seconds, is really, really good. So apart from that, you know, I completely concur that, that there, this movie was... It was lacking in several departments, which we'll probably come on to. Yeah, yeah. What what was it about, though? Let's talk about the basic plot. Well, let's just get back before we do that too. Uh, this is one of two the Beyonds, 
and this is from 2017, and it's by a lauded director from the British left field, whose name I can't remember. Hasraf. It's Hasraf Dalol, isn't it? Hasraf Dalol, yes. Okay. Known as Has, apparently. And he was yeah. he is a visual effects artist. He is. Which I think may explain the blind spot with regards to the sound design. He is an unpolished diamond, yes. Although it's incredible that he rose to fame just by using very generic Adobe software suites to create relatively convincing uh, visual effects uh, on YouTube or, or, or on whatever kind of contributor platform. I mean, on his IMDb page, uh-huh. I think he, he apparently worked on The Dark Knight and Hellboy 2. And he's done some TV work as well, of course. Nice. And I think he's, yeah, he's got some short films that I'd be interested in seeing, actually, just to see what they're like. This guy is a, a visual effects guy, has, and he's now turned his hand in this particular work to writing and directing and <laughs> the visual effects. And presumably the musical score. Uh, I think he may have had a bitten off a bit more than he can chew. There's some good stuff in this movie, and it was certainly not a high budget production. No. In fact, on Wikipedia, on Wikipedia, there's no mention of its budget. So it presumably, maybe even under one million dollars. They do quite a lot with a limited budget, and that's to be lauded. Hmm. So, th- what is the plot <laughs> of this movie, though? What's it well, all about? Well, for the first 54, and I timed this, for the first 54 minutes and 37 seconds, it's waiting for people to launch the main space exploration moment of the movie. You mentioned the time, and you know, (laughs) it is great value. It's great value, this uh, movie, isn't it? Apart from it not costing very much to make, presumably. And not costing us anything to watch other than our Amazon subscriptions. You get a, you seem to get a hell of a lot for your money. Yeah, no adverts it seems on to Amazon. Go, you see, so it goes on and on and on and on. It I does. Thought, well, it does. Wait, there are no adverts. I, I didn't pay for it in terms of my time or, or people monopolising my attention or my time. You see, because there are no adverts on. You weren't the product, not here. Uh-uh. No, completely no. free. When I used to work for an unscrupulous night school, that was the modus operandi, was keep the students on the runway, keep the aeroplane taxiing for as long as possible before you take off. Now, of course, airlines don't do this because they pay pretty much for the time they're on the runway, I think. But not so, not so night schools for adults. The idea was to keep as many students studying as slowly as possible. Uh, until they realised that we couldn't provide any services that were relevant to their needs, you see. I think uh, <laughs> I think the same principle is maybe brought to this movie. You know, it's gonna be shit, so let's just not do anything for as long as possible while we think 54 minutes is, you know, gonna be the time before people decide decide just to finally give up on it and walk out, walk out of walk out of the theatre. Potentially. I think this could have been some of the reasoning, some of the unconscious reasoning that informed the decisions about pace that went into uh, making this blockbuster. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something that will surprise you. This movie is actually listed as one hour <laughs> and 40 minutes. Well, it felt a lot longer. It feels a lot longer than that. Yeah, I think, I think we stepped into a void where maybe time was, uh, time was distorted somewhat. I started off diligently taking notes and being interested. And, <laughs> and, uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I, I was actually coming around to it, you know, thinking there's some good stuff going on here. Yeah. But then I, I realised after a while I had lost interest. I hadn't taken any notes and I sort of got up to get a drink and hadn't come back properly. Yeah, it dragged. You know, it's, it's like you, you've just turned up at a desert island, which potentially, although pirates didn't actually bury their treasure in reality, but apocryphally, you know, you've turned up at this uh, this uh, desert island and you've discovered his journal, the pirate's journal. And uh, day by day, you can see his resolve slipping. And at one, uh, one day, you know, there's just a trail of ink where the nib has been left on the page kind of thing. At what point did you reach that stage, Richard, of, of utter desperation with this movie? I, I, could you I don't time it I don't know that there was a, I don't know there was a single point could it you give up gradual... taking notes at some point I think so yes, yes. Yeah. It, it, 
we'll get into that. I just want to say the, the basic plot, let's get to this, the basic plot of this movie, because I don't think a lot of people can have seen this. It's not common currency. I don't think people will go, oh, I know this movie. Can I just, can you just hold your thought and remember what you're about to say? Because I have to go back to last week. This is just, it's, it's just a jog my memory. In that, uh, did you get a letter too? Is that what you're trying? No, to say? no. I, I, I feel, I feel somewhat abandoned and, and neglected by our, by our listenership. But we looked at two movies where you know the, the budget was limited and perhaps things didn't happen for a long time. Uh, one of them was they wanted to do an icy moon of Jupiter or, uh, or the or Europa Saturn. report. Ah. Okay, the jovial Saturnalia. Okay, I don't know if it was Jupiter or, or Saturn that they went to a moon to, but the Europa report. Uh, well, jovial Saturnalia aside, yes. So, and in Europa report, uh, their budget was, again, very limited. So they decided to show the monster in the last three seconds of the movie. Yeah, that's right. It's a very good, very good tactic. And this principle is informed by a very famous 80s schlock movie, horror schlock movie called invisible maniac uh invisible <laughs> maniac uh, and the brilliance of this movie is it was so low budget it's just somebody moving something behind fabric and curtains <laughs> and this kind of thing but it does succeed in being quite scary because you can't you don't see at no point is the monster realized you know unlike chucky in in, in charles play we know that he's scary we know what he looks like but we don't see this thing at all and it works quite well if you don't have a budget to produce a monster. And so, in re- reference to that, this is what reminded me, is, is, is again, this movie is quite clever in that we don't really see anything for a very long time. So, sorry, Richard, back to your point. Have you forgotten what your point was? My point was to try and explain the plot of this movie succinctly. Ah. Uh, I mean, I think the description on uh, Amazon is that they find a wormhole yes. uh, and they send cybernetically enhanced astronauts through it to find out what's on the other side. Yes. Now, oh, now, that's now, it, really, isn't it? Now, they do discover a wormhole. Oh, rather, as one of them says, we haven't seen a wormhole before, but we know <laughs> we know a wormhole has got an exit and an entry point. We can see the entry point to this. Is it a wormhole? <laughs> so uh, they were kind of. Uh, they haven't seen a wormhole before, so we, we could. This being a wormhole, we could have defined this as being a wormhole without knowing if it had an entry or exit point. And then, on the basis of finding it didn't have an entry point or an exit point, say actually wormholes don't have an exit point. That, but they moved from axiomatic position, which was wormholes, which we have never experienced, have <laughs> an entry and exit point. So if this doesn't have an exit point, it's not a wormhole, which I, which apparently is how Oxford scientists work too, axiomatically, you know, rather than empirically. But anyway, beside that trifling issue, yes, there's a wormhole. They do debate this. Is it a wormhole or is it the remnant of a supernova? <laughs> now, don't forget, it's next to the moon. It's literally 2,000 kilometers away from the moon. No, it's not next to the moon, is it? Isn't it? It's... Because they were on the ISS, it's next to the... Oh. It's in low Earth orbit. Yeah, well, it's next to Earth, okay. Now, the remnants of a supernova imply that the remnants were preceded by a supernova. <laughs> so, if there was a supernova 25 kilometres above the Earth, I think we would have damn well known about it. Isn't this true? So, but they're debating, you know, perhaps this was a supernova. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the areas where they get the science wrong, of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a wormhole, by its very nature, is an area of space-time that is so distorted yes. that, uh, you know, a straight line, instead of passing through normal space, as it were, curves... Infinitely. You know, into a what is effectively a singularity and then comes out the other side somewhere else. But it would require such enormous mass, presumably, to warp space to that degree, that to have it next to the Earth, you'd think would be... <laughs> you'd think it would perturb our orbit. <laughs> a little a little bit, yes, a little bit. Uh, they do say they all felt like an electromagnetic kind of uh, thing passed through them. Oh, they, they talk such claptrap about... About electromagnetic and wavelengths and stuff. I, yeah, I was, well, I, this is where I was... I noted it down, actually. It's it's frequency 1420. Yes. 
And I think they chose that frequency because I think later on they referenced the wow signal. Do you, uh, do you know about this? I, vaguely, yes. Yeah, it, it's, it's sort of SETI stuff. Search for extraterrestrial intelligence when they're when they monitoring the skies with radio telescopes. They picked up a signal that they were excited about, I think. And, um, and I guess it was at 1420 megahertz or something. But they seem to think this has got some mystical significance. Well, they even do. I think... They also think it's villainous. The villainous 1420 <laughs> frequency. What does it do? Break wine glasses? I mean, heck. I think they even say, though, that, that that's one of the emission lines for hydrogen. You know, it's presumably not that mysterious where you might get that from in, <laughs> in space where, you know, 80% of all matter is hydrogen or something. But... Yeah, they also talked about gravitational waves. They had the expert gravitational waves come in. Oh, well, let's just return now to the experts and the press conferences. Uh, again, echoing the stylistics of Europa Report. Much of this, well, I didn't. Sorry, I didn't think it was as. I didn't think it was as bad as the way it was done in. Europa it wasn't Report. no, but we did have a lot of the plotline being revealed through somewhat circuitously through through press. Re- through imagine press release by a committee, a standing committee in the space department of whatever, whatever, whatever. I, I mean, what I wanted to say about this is, particularly at the start, this is sort of made out to be another found footage movie. No, not at the start. That's completely wrong. Halfway through, they go, this is the footage from the probes or whatever. And, and then they show you this stuff, which is a found footage yes. kind of idea, isn't it? So there's some idea of cinema verite going on here. Let's, yeah. Let's not, let's not, let's just let the story tell itself through imagined kind of clips of TV interviews, press releases and found footage. But at the start, it's like a documentary. Yes. That's how yes. it's filmed. It is. And she pretend she's talking to a daughter and she's saying, uh, yeah, I'm just recording this for some other, some weird reason. I couldn't figure out why. And then they start like doing like an interview, like a two camera piece about you know, that and they start building up that weird backstory that, that she's lost her husband and her dad died but in then, the army. But then halfway stuff. through, there's a woman who decides she's gonna have her brain ripped out. And and, <laughs> and then she it's actually like a sixty minutes TV interview that she does. So it's another it's yes, another form yes. of cinema verite. We've got the documentary, the handheld documentary by a TV crew, we've got the press releases, you know, at conferences, we've got the found footage. And then we've got this kind of saccharine kind of 60 minutes interview interview with Barbara Walters kind of thing. All mixed in. That that whole brain removal thing is the other plot. <laughs> There's two plots. Like one plot of this movie is we found a wormhole we're going to go through and explore. And the other we're plot remove is, our brains. <laughs> yeah, it, it's can you implant people's brains into robot bodies? Uh, well, which was sort while of a, ro- a Robocop, wasn't it? Which I thought, you know, was kind of I mean, you've got confounding, potentially confounding variables here, haven't you? You know, I mean, I mean, either of these <laughs> storylines would have perfectly filled like an hour of TV special, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and that would have been fine. And it feels a little bit like that, doesn't it? Um, that's the sort of production quality. I mean, it's a, it's an enjoyable romp into into a director who's taken on more than he can handle, particularly. <laughs> I think, yeah, WRT. His script writing abilities. I mean, ah, yes. Now, huh, the dialogue in this <laughs> film really got me scribbling notes because some of it is mental. It's, it's like, it's I mean, I think insane. he's a British guy, right? He <laughs> just has this weird turn of phrase yes. that he's given. Presumably, he's written in the script and given to the actors, and the actors <laughs> just do it like they never thought to go or maybe he's the kind of director who won't brook such things but none of them ever thought to say is this what you mean to say now, here this is well, some really I mean, weird bits these are kind of are they even Hollywood actors I guess they must be I mean they're not Z-list they must be what E-list or F-list you no. know uh, I thought I actually thought the acting was quite good because there was a the lot of emphasis good. placed on them the script is terrible in a the big action movie good. It, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's not their fault. But in a big a- action movie, you don't need to worry about the acting too much, you know. You uh, you can raise a wry eyebrow and do a one-liner and yes. carry on with it. But at the start, well, throughout this movie, <laughs> they ask the actors to do some really big things to try and 
bring drama to the whole yes. thing. Like this whole thing about well, we're gonna we're gonna take your brain out and put it in a <laughs> robot, so we're gonna have to tell your family that you're dead. <laughs> Because your family wouldn't be too happy with that idea again. Now, now they do take a few brains out. Let's not spoil. Let's not have too many spoilers. But you know, it it doesn't. It's not successful the first time round. Yeah, second, second time, time lucky. lucky. Yeah. And so, and so, one of the scripts repeated script elements is you do know that there's no going back. You do know that this is a final, a, a final irreversible operation, don't you? And I think he wrote that maybe nine or ten or eleven or twelve or thirteen or fourteen times. Into the script, you know, I mean, uh, just in case we missed it, and just in case we felt there wasn't enough turgid dialogue to fill the movie, he went and filled it with with more of that cake mix, you know. So, but you know, there is this thing going on where he's getting the actors to go through these big emotional things to give yes. drama and emotional texture to the movie. You know how uh, the, the 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 lady who lost her husband and. The, daughter who lost her father you know speaking to her, their friend and then she's gonna have to lie to her daughter to say that she's now dead and, you know, imagine the emotional i mean who really cares <laughs> yes so there's there's this huge kind of uh overly sincere weight to to to, to the movie isn't it? it just doesn't fit oh. at all takes itself so seriously there's not one moment of levity in that there, well there's plenty of unintentional minutes. moments of levity for example when the second time when they try and fire the brain up to a to, <laughs> oh gosh oh dear when they try and fire the brain up to a surrounding kind of micro techno gel instead of <laughs> instead of i don't know what instead of bodily fluids uh, there's a moment where he says, yes, and her brain synapse has fired. And apparently <laughs> the lady has only got one brain synapse. Uh, which, uh, I, I mean, he may just be... It's great when, when writers write for their own experience, you know. I, I, uh, this man may only have one synapse himself, judging by his script writing abilities, that is potentially possible. But, oh, gosh, there are so many unintentional moments. I, I think when the first guy who, you know, uh, plot, plot spoiler, but uh, he's a disabled man. I know, let's just take the whole, just to say the whole, uh, the whole, the whole central theme of Gattaca and reproduce it in five minutes of our movie, you know, uh, <laughs> which they, he does. Uh, and uh, his brain is rejected. Uh, no, sorry, his, his brain is not rejected by the new spinal fluid thing that surrounds it now rather the brain rejects the spinal fluid uh, yeah because it, it it didn't like the look of it apparently yeah yeah this is the thing about but, I mean, wait a minute i mean not an optic not an optic nerve i mean the brain has an optic nerve that can see things no 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 the brain itself could see could see the spinal fluid <laughs> and didn't like it yeah and so rejected it and went into a but, freak spasm. Yeah, okay. Why oh why oh why are you able to have this discussion? It doesn't it because it makes no difference to the movie. It would have made no difference. It didn't need to go into they the did detail. Not. No, no. I mean he just freaked out and died. I, I mean arguably that the whole plot line about the guy who who volunteers to do it to get out of the wheelchair but dies could have been completely cut out. Yeah, of the movie. Or, 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 or or left in its original movie Gattaca, you know. I mean yeah, <laughs> I mean, no. I just, I mean, realistically, you know, when people freak out, when you rip their brains out and try to translate, transplant their brain to a, a wetware robot, essentially, and it goes wrong. I'm, Which, by the way, <laughs> must also rank as one of the worst sex bots oh, we've yes, seen in the yeah, series. I, I wouldn't be shagging this one. But when it does no. go wrong, typically, you know, you don't know why it's gone wrong. Yeah, so that's all they have to say is like, oh my gosh, anomaly, you know, system failure, gosh, let's go back to the drawing board and see if we can get it right next time. That's all they really need to, to keep the viewer intact and in touch with, yeah, with, yeah. with the plot. You don't need to suspend your disbelief <laughs> to believe that transplanting someone's brain into a robot could go wrong. No, no, time. we can imagine so. it could go wrong, you know. So, I mean, there were lots of attempts to bring in some really cool science. Wetware is a fascinating topic. And yet, we got to see non-technicalities of that. 
really, if you think about it. But we got onto this by discussing the weird dialogue bits. Mm. So I just wanted to know if you spotted any really weird phrases. Well, uh, you know, brain synapse was the one that really, just really made my day or made my evenings, made my nights at the time I was watching this. I just really love that. Her brain synapse, you know. (laughs) I had to rewind it at one point because that boss lady, uh, I think she was called Gillian LaRue for some reason, she used the word complexing. She, she said something about a complexing uh, factor. This could be an American thing, like addicting. Oh, it's not addictive, it's addicting. But he's a British writer, scriptwriter. She was an American mm. a- actor, and she was supposed to be She was supposed to be Canadian. I guess that's why she's LaRue. But her daughter was British, because her, her, her That's right, British. yes. Yeah, maybe, well, maybe complexing is a Canadian thing. I just thought it was that weird. That is weird. But then... Yeah, they talked about the frequency and they said it was a very specific frequency, as if signals are on a specific frequency normally. <laughs> and, and then they were discussing whether or not you send people through the wormhole. And one guy says, I must flatly object. Is that a normal? That is, is that... completely not what we call a collocation. It's not, no, in the vernacular. not a vernacular collocation, no. no. And then I roundly said... object, perhaps, you know. Roundly yes. object, yeah. Flatly refuse. Flatly refuse. Roundly yes. object. object. Not. It's, it's like a neologism that he's coined. And then there was. Then there was miss the window, miss the opportunity. <laughs> so it's not wrong. It's just. <laughs> it, it, well, it's it's kind of like tasting salt in your orange juice, isn't it? You know. <laughs> it's not wrong, but. Whew. I mean. And she talked about, this is more bad science than just bad dialogue, but she talked about velocity fields. Oh, velocity fields. And <laughs> unknown fields and waves that we know nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, to get back to the acting, which we both admit was, was, was competent, performative. There we go. Conflicting and performative. It was highly, well, I think it's there to be respected from, from people who are maybe F-list or G-list actors. I'm, I'm not sure where they rank in the Hollywood scheme of things. I mean, they're not from the other side of the street in Hollywood. They're not ex-porn actors. But, you know, they're not well-known actors. And they did a good job. And you're saying, well, why why when, when they collided with this, uh, you know, when the script was thrown at their faces, why did they not object? And I think the reason is simply because they're not well-enough known actors to have that level of, in this case, righteous uh, ego to say, look, this is absolute whack. This is the dullest dialogue, <laughs> uh, the most turgid dialogue, potentially in, in 15 or 20 years. I've not seen Cats, the movie, but apparently the dialogue there is turgid too. And, and I think the problem is here that the the actors aren't weren't well enough known to say, or didn't feel that they were well enough known to have the clout to say to this director, look, can we just take the script home and rewrite it for you? We'll come in and say the lines that we are more comfortable with doing. Which is a shame, really, because, I mean, if they actors generally are probably better at script writing than, than directors, or, or at taking a script and making it work... God, yes. Yeah, obviously. I mean, why did the, the actor playing the Doctor not simply say, when, when explaining ah, to the lady I what it would be one. like to be put into a robot? I remember this one, brain. yes. Why did he use the word uncomfortability? Yes, uncomfortability. Discomfort. The professionality, uncomfortability. Yes, that was what I was trying to remember. You said, Paul, were there any particular words? And I was trying to remember, you know, I, I knew it should have been dis or or whatever. Yeah, it's a, preface a doctor here. would say, you might experience some discomfort. discomfort yes. That's what a doctor would say. Yes. A weird man who's faked his degree... And has been hanging around for twenty years in a, in, a, in, a, in in a hospital simply to to nick the tamazepam. Might say discomfortability or whatever. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean that was glaring, wasn't it? So, so uh, getting back to your point about saying that you can't come back from this, <clears throat> the phrase that was used at one point was <laughs> "no point of return to my original life." Oh, no point of return. That's okay, yes. No point of return is okay. Can't come back to my original well, it, life. It's like there is a point of no return. <laughs> That's the phrase yes. they were grappling with there. <laughs> but to your original life, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. 
So it, it weird collocations, I think, is the only thing we can describe his his style as. Maybe it was some idea of cool. You know, he's he's inventing a new a new way of talking, perhaps. So it just comes across as slightly weird, doesn't it? Yes. Maybe you wouldn't notice. Maybe an international audience wouldn't notice. I don't know. They, they wouldn't. It's, they wouldn't notice at all. So the whole concept of this movie yeah. is they get this scientist lady. They put her in a robot body. They send because the first they try to send. Well, wait, slow down, slow down. The whole premise is that uh, a supernova has been doing a brief cameo as a moon by putting a paper mache uh, mask over its face to begin with. Yeah, that's that's where I was at the beginning of the movie. Uh, I I got stuck on the supernova, (laughs) potentially being a supernova in the sky, a champagne supernova. (laughs) But sorry, yeah. So there's there's a woman who 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 sorry. Richard, continue. There's a woman, yes, okay. One of the scientists on the project eventually volunteers to get her brain put in a <laughs> robot body because... I'm sorry. Every time you mention brains being pulled out of heads, I just find it hilarious. But, well, why do they need to do that? <laughs> that well, I don't know. Because they're going into a void where the gravity is very strong. The reason is simple, Paul. <laughs> what they did was very sensibly, because, you know... Safety first. Oh, they sent robots through first. They did. I forgot about that. Said, and all the robots were destroyed. Yes. So let's send so human they thought, brains through. Let's send humans. That's right. You got to. <laughs> what happens if the robots get killed? You send human the humans through. through. <laughs> and you know, let's you know, let's think about the really, really, really vulnerable parts of a human. You know, uh, is it the <laughs> is it the brain? No. Is it the muscle? No. Is it the bone? Yeah. It's the bone. They need robot <laughs> exoskeletons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't an exoskeleton. She was fully she robot. Was fully, well, it was just a well, brain. With a brain in the middle of it, yeah. There's a long history of real science about thinking about space travel and deciding that humans probably can't do it. Mostly, well, partly because of the radiation, partly because it takes a long time, partly because it's very expensive to send toilets and food to sure sure but that's space but we're we're not just talking about space here are we we're we're talking about (laughs) what is what might or might not be depending whether it has an exit point a wormhole (laughs) it's a wormhole for crying out loud you know uh so yeah so doubly compounded issues i imagine now last week you offered me two films the other one (laughs) that i didn't choose was are you regretting that now richard i just it's just interesting that you chose those two films because Interstellar has a wormhole to travel through. It. Yeah. Except they did it really well and got the science as bang on as you can in a story of that kind. Interesting juxtaposition there. Well, I, I, I mean, their I, wormhole was way yeah, out. I think what this director did cleverly was, you know, he says, I can't afford the special effects. So, so, yes. so they've gone into the wormhole. Oh, gosh, we've lost transmission. Ah, oh, we can't see. We'll never know until we get the footage back, you know, which was... A good yeah. decision, uh, tactically and strategically. You know, you've got however much money to make this movie. And uh, I felt that was a passable attempt at keeping us on board, uh, allowing us to suspend disbelief. Uh, and when the footage came back from the planet, oh, yes. which lies beyond the work, yes. it turned out it was Isle of Man or Nova <laughs> Scotia or somewhere. Well, she was... She was peat farming and, you know, getting a whiskey distillery started, I imagine, you know. Oh, the amount of moss that she collected, it was fabulous, yes, yes. A wonderfully wet climate, wet, humid climate, it would seem. Temperate too. Yes, yes, I I did like that about the other world that she went to. Uh, Is the big message of this movie supposed to be, maybe it's kind of (laughs) pastiching the idea that uh, don't worry about the environment because... Any moment, a wormhole will open and Earth 2.0 will appear and we can just send everyone. Oh, sorry, yes, she was Human 2.0, wasn't she? That's what they called human them, 2.0. yes, Human 2.0. 2.0. So, so it would make sense to say, yes, don't worry, Earth 2.0 will appear. Uh, spoiler alert, that is... that. Well, is that the message of the movie? Well, it was quite explicit at the end. It's, I mean... Maybe what he's saying is, look, this idea is so ridiculous, we should just look after the Earth we've got. So he did it by making this whole film look ridiculous. Uh, so the idea is discredited. Potentially, yeah, because at the end, I mean, these black blobs appear, don't they? And, and uh, I didn't understand that plot and, line. And they announced but, to us that they were just here to look after us. 
and yes and we didn't see it we never at any point saw any aliens which i think is probably a good thing but it's strongly implied that there's someone looking out for them in some way yes so you're saying that idea being so ridiculous was there to discredit the whole idea potentially yeah i mean in in a sense I, i felt that well, let me just get back to the plot and the characterization, if I can. We'll come back to that and come back to your very valid point in a second. But going back to the actors and the plot line, oh, it was almost gruesome to 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 look at the scaffolding in his plotting, which was the three the three critical people here in the plot, i.e., the woman herself, then the disabled guy, and then the woman that finally gets into space. It was uh, the. You think the disabled guy is critical to the plot? Well, no, but it, it, critical to the character, the characterization. Yeah, okay. It's a, oh, they all had these yeah. uh, wonderfully traumatic backstories. Oh, my husband just died, number one. Number two, oh, I can't walk. Uh, number three, I'm really critical to the mission, but only I have the enzymes to have my brain pulled out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, tension. Will she choose to press the button on the, on the flight control, or will she have her brain pulled out? Because we need her for both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, oh, God, it was gruesome just to watch this being set up. I, I think we're coming towards scores. Wait, wait, sorry. Get back to your point. Get back to your point, Richard, about the message of this movie. Mm-hmm. Did you have a final point to make about it? Uh, I didn't really. I don't think it had a strong message. Well, it, was, it was a nice I think it was too... mess, wasn't it, really? Yes. But it was... Obviously done on a budget, and it was not as bad as Europa Report. And, you know, it's got that problem, doesn't it? If you want to to try and portray a space agency, like NASA or ESSA or whatever, and you're you're working on a budget, you've got a bit of a problem on your hands. And, you know, he did it with a lot of, like, stock footage of spacecraft and launches and stuff, and... Of shiny buildings that you might imagine a space administration could yeah. work in, but then there was also that weird choice where, like, splicing together these different cinema verite bits that you're referring to, you know, the documentary style and the found footage style. There was like a test card that popped yes! up, like an old television there was a test, test card. card yeah, that was, it was a weird choice. Did you feel some uncomfortability about that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, he just slapped a space administration logo over where that girl with the knots and crosses board and the weird puppet. But with really bad, with a really bad typeface and an unconvincing typeface too. <laughs> it was really sloppily done. Yeah. Are we ready to do the scores? No. Let me rephrase that. We are now ready to do the scores. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Before we do that, uh, there was, uh, in terms of bloopers and howlers. Uh, at at twenty one thirty two, I noted this down. Twenty one minutes and thirty two seconds for anybody interested. Uh, they announced there's a huge, invisible wave of force being emitted from these black blobs. Are they supernovas or are they wormholes? Very near to the Earth and the Moon. Uh, it's coming our way, i.e., the Earth, and we need to prepare for it. Now I don't know what kind of wave it was, but. Uh, I think it was one of those from an unknown field. But, but how is it arriving? By steamboat? By parcel mail? <laughs> we need to prepare for it. I mean, I mean, presumably it's going to be there in 0.00006 seconds, approximately, you know? Given 3 times 10 to the 8 metres per second being the speed of most most waves. I think this plot, like this subplot, this third plot in the movie, completely passed me by. I... I mean, obviously, I saw there were black blobs in the sky and there were soldiers shooting at them. Oh, yes. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> shoot at black blobs I, in the I sky. I didn't get it. I, didn't, I never understood where they were really coming from. Uh, I, I got the end that they, we had been saved from them by somebody, but I didn't know who. Uh, it just You could have taken that entire thing out of the movie. I suppose they were trying to give some reason for <laughs> debraining a scientist... And sending her through the wormhole in a robot body. <laughs> so there's a wormhole, there's an alien at the end of it. it. He or she might or might not be responsible for the black blobs. In any case, the aliens have decided that we were worth saving. 
And there's a reason for that. It's because we sent them a bloopy to Sunken Garden. Uh, time capsule! <laughs> we sent a time capsule. Oh, that's right, yeah. There they you had, go. They had a portable hard disk. They sent a time capsule. A, it was a portable hard drive with a load of YouTube clips <laughs> on it, as far as we could tell. Now, of course, if they brought the expert along from Arrival, she, she could have told them, no, that's not enough. You need to have some subtitles underneath. <laughs> because they don't speak our language. Uh... You're quite right. I'd completely forgotten that MacGuffin thing where they show off that hard drive partway through the movie. And then another three hours later, it seems, they mention, oh yeah, they probably saved us because <laughs> of this. I love the fact that the doctor said at 35 minutes, he said, and have you been made aware of this procedure? And uh, you just want that to say, yes, so they rip off my head and then uh, rip out my, 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 my brain and, and spinal cord uh, and decapitate me and probably gouge my eyes out and then plop it in some green goo. Is that right? The attempt to maintain some sober level of... A, a pretense that this is, this is some sort of sober examination of the whole the whole hot mess of issues that, that it's trying to talk about is oh, it, 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 it's it would be laughable if it wasn't wearisome at the same time you know you knew that you were going to be on a sort of shaky <laughs> I'm using the kind of phrasing he uses now shaky ground oh, uh, a, a, a shaking a shaking groundsome yes yes <laughs> a shaky groundswell yeah uh, you knew you you weren't on the firmest ground with the science from very early in the movie because when the astronaut who disappears, uh, by the way, yeah, we didn't mention at the beginning they find out about the wormhole because when the wormhole appears, a, an astronaut gets sucked off. He, yes, I remember now. An, an astronaut gets sucked off into into the void. While that sort of incident is happening, over the intercom, you hear them talking about it, and at some point that. They, they ask, what's that on the radio channels? And then someone says, all radio frequency bands are nominal. Like as if yeah. when you're out doing a spacewalk, you've got the ability to monitor all the radio frequency bands and figure out that they're, I don't know, nominal. What, what does that even mean on a, ra- a radio <laughs> frequency? A anyway? please. I think that probably says enough, doesn't it, you know, about this movie. So is it time to move to scores finally, Richard? I think it is. High time. Richard, tell me, where, where do we start? I'll tell you where we start. This guy started out in yes. visual effects. Let's score the visual effects of this okay. movie. Jimmy, Jimmy. And I'll the... tell you, for, right from the outset, I think that they weren't good. <laughs> well, at, at the beginning, I when it first appears... Some slack or leeway. The, okay, yeah, it had a low budget. I yes, admit. budget, slack leeway for budget. He's trying to go, or they're trying to go for this yeah. found footage or like through the astronaut's sort of head cam kind of ambience. And you get a lot, yes. lot of low resolution footage, like from a... Yeah, a lot of fuzzy, distorted, kind of 480 by 640 footage kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But then you see the wormhole and it's at like a much higher resolution. <laughs> it is. In fact, it's beautiful. And it's, but it's just pasted on the low resolution footage. Oh, the colours, they say. It, you know, it's so obviously like composited together, but composited badly. It's not. It's not how it would yes. look as if you were looking through their video camera. Yeah, if you're looking through six six forty four eighty, it would not look like that. That's a very valid point. So for that, and you know, <laughs> are you going to give a swinging down mark for this? I I, I realise that, that it was a budget to work with. Yeah. In the absence of quality, we expect some quantity. There was not quantity either. No, you saw hardly any of it. They kept it well hidden so you didn't have to endure the imperfections. <laughs> so on both on both counts, quality and quantity, you've got to mark this down. So, you know, I'm going to give this a five. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I, we're very much in the same ballpark. Uh, I would go at four. I think that's fair, yeah. Uh, yeah five is yeah. generous. I mean, there was... There's practical effects as well. There's, you know, the robot bodies. <laughs> the robot bodies were maybe a five and a half or a six, but still final score four. Okay, so um, we can talk about acting. And the acting, as we said, you know, the actors carried a lot of this work. Yes. Bad script notwithstanding, 
you know, the acting, I, I would go for 7.5 myself. Yeah, I'd, I'd do a 7. Yeah. But don't forget, we, we, we kind of, I think our acting score is actually script, plot, and acting all together, isn't it? It's a big kind of bondly global score. May- so I can't really give mm. it a 7. Well, maybe we should, here on episode 2, maybe we should change to script and storyline. Okay. Okay, so acting for me a 7. We have had a storyline category before, haven't we? I think. Have we? Oh, I think okay. that's true. Yeah, we've had a science category. I think we should do science next. Oh well, I think this is where most of the enjoyable humour of the movie comes in. Is is uh, the laughable attempts to give this some sort of some I, I can't say scientific credibility, but pseudo scientific credibility. I found enjoyable and therefore makes me want to upscore it, but. In terms of the science, I, I could only give it a 1.5. That's very low. I, th- I think that's a bit harsh because... Yeah. Although they made some errors, and <laughs> although we wouldn't expect a wormhole to pop out of nowhere in low Earth orbit without repercussions. Or even the remnants of a supernova, let's not forget. Well, let's not forget. <laughs> but, you know, there's some good ideas here. You know, there are, you know a wormhole isn't out of the question. It, as I say, it was portrayed in Interstellar with somewhat greater veracity. Yeah, those are great ideas, Richard, aren't they? Let's just just recap some of those great ideas. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, we can't send humans into a wormhole, (laughs) so we're going to send the brain in instead. Yeah. But, Mm. yeah, brains can't see, but this brain didn't like the the artificial spinal fluid it was surrounded by, so it just kind of... Freaked out. They got the details Anyone wrong. Anyone some more? I've got some more. The details are wrong, but the broad brush strokes, the idea of downloading brains into robot bodies, that's an interesting idea. And they it's... weren't broad brush strokes, were they? It's kind of like, you know, when, when your seven year old nephew draws, <laughs> draws an aeroplane in the sky, you know. I, I can see it's an aeroplane in the sky. I can see the stick people on the ground. All of which is to say, I'll give the but science a four. I'll give the science. It doesn't make it Salvador Dali, does it? Four is my score. Okay, well, you've convinced me to upscore it a little bit because you're right. There were some ideas there of a stick drawing nature. Uh, 2.5 at the very most. All right. And that's as far as I'll go. So then storyline and scripts, I think that was another category. I mean, dialogue. Yeah, it's, it's, do, you, do you like, you know, do you like waitresses dropping a hot mess of cream spaghetti on your lap? <laughs> if you do, then this is the movie for you. Badly you know, paced. We- oh. Weirdly, weirdly uh, too serious. Weirdly too serious. Thank you. You hit the nail on the head. But let's not forget, you know, the brief, the brief. I won't say cameos, but the the, the brief. I, I don't know how to express this, but you know, the Gattaca, the kind of arrival from Earth of blobs, blobs over the blobs in the skies. You know, from many other movies, the Blade Runner references. What? Hang- uh, well, what Blade Runner the aliens, references? The aliens are. Well, you know, the, the turtle that you mentioned. That was in... Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. It's a, it's a, that was in Automata. I'm sorry. It's been a very long day. Uh, and getting my sound levels took even longer today as well. So I'm sorry about that. But no, more than that, the uh, you know the blobs in the sky, Independence Day kind of crap. Oh, Independence Day. Yeah, good reference. Yeah. The the aliens are God kind of thing. Yeah, that's an old the, trope, isn't it? Definitely. The Irish peat moss on the other side. Oh, come on. It was just such a mess. In terms of sci-fi, there is no older storyline than, you know, evil alien flinging things through like a wormhole. It's, that, that's what <laughs> happens in Flash Gordon, isn't it? Ming the Merciless starts raining meteors down. It is. Down. Yes. Starts raining meteors down. And then the, oh, let's go on a tether outside... Uh, and let's go on a tether into the wormhole kind of thing. Oh. So what are you giving it? Can I, can I hear your score first of all? For storyline and, and script, I'd say... I, I'll give it a three. Okay. I can, I, can, I, can, I can hear the generosity in your voice. I'm going to have to give it a three too because I've, I've already been very cruel about the science. Overall score then. Oh, wait. Uh... Have I sandwiched it fairly, you know? Uh, because positive, positive, negative in the middle. Have I sandwiched these scores in a way that's biased but still can seem fair? You know, I've tried to score it positively in things that it was just generally crap at. I mean, it's it's a shit sandwich uh, between shit, isn't it, really? 
it's not a shit sandwich made with bread. It's shit between shit and shit, this one. So, <laughs> uh, how do you sandwich something that's just uniformly crap, uh, apart from the acting? I don't know, really. Maybe you put the good stuff in the middle and then say, look, you know, it's a shit sandwich, obviously, but there's some good stuff in there somewhere. A final score for me would have to be a four, I think. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking of four as well. I, and I was just oh, wondering well. why you said that. Uh, that was a long deliberation. I was just wondering. Uh, she said that there was no going back, and she'd gone. What, what, what was the phrase I used? <laughs> yeah, no point of return to my original life. But she was back. She was back on Earth, she? Admittedly, in a robot body, she could presumably go back. No, apparently, there's no going back. I just want to give her a happy ending, and then we can end this podcast without imagining her stuck in that laboratory for the rest of her. Long life. Apparently, you live longer when you're put in into a robot body. <laughs> green, green jelly. Yeah, yeah. A failed attempt to explore wetware. I think. I, I think we don't have many movies about the future of wetware, or the potential, or the dangers of wetware. So uh, that's my shout out to any any directors who are listening, uh, and in round day of getting funding for their next blockbusters. Yeah, explore wetware. By the please. way. You didn't have any problem with the strong female uh, leads in this movie who had high-ranking positions in the space agency. No, no. Oh, back to my rampant sexism. I've had a chance to think about how I presented those ideas last week. <laughs> and uh, what I mean is, like, you know, when, when Arnold Schwarzenegger did uh, Kindergarten Cop... Get to the know, chopper. <laughs> nobody ever said, oh, he's not being... He has, nobody ever said... Oh, he expressly has not been typecast because he's a big, muscular bodybuilder who is now a kindergarten teacher. Yeah, okay. That role could have been taken Said by nobody woman, ever. I think. Yeah, I mean, we're just, I mean, I mean, the whole premise of the movie is such, yeah. Uh, and when we watch Dune, which is about... Uh, is, uh, Dune is about a, uh, a pangalactical uh, kind of uh, drug, is it not? Or a mind... Mind, mind meld, similar to Oliver Stone's Wild Palms kind of thing. You know, something you download into your brain and and it gives you good times. I mean, uh, we never had Nancy Reagan doing a cameo in there uh, with her grateful kids. You know, uh, appearing on stage in the middle of the movie, singing "Just Say No," <laughs> did we? That's what I'm saying about the the ladies that appeared in. I am mother is there was an aspect of public information do goodery in in the casting choices which were all ethnographically very undiverse by the way that I didn't like so there's no reason Richard for you to accuse me of wanting to extend that observation to this movie by the way I think in our previous movie deliberations we've had a category for action but that actually seems yes. completely irrelevant in this movie, which is probably <laughs> why, why we forgot yes, it. Yeah. We could give a mark for inaction, I suppose. <laughs> what are we going to do next week? Or dis- in- incomfortably... In- incomfortably... Incom- in- what was his word? Uncomfortability. <laughs> uh, yes, or for uncomfortability of having confronted so much inaction. I had a high level of uncomfortability. I think you're overcomplexing this. Yes, I'm overcomplexing it, yes. Yes, this could get addicting, I think. Listen. Richard, sorry. Movies for next weekend, it's my turn to select. It is, wow. This is going to be a surprise. Richard has not told me the choices he's about to present to me. Presuming I'm getting a choice here. I'm going to first ask you if you have seen Cloverfield. Must admit, I I was was expecting a quicker answer. I I think I have. This was the sh- it, this was shot for very little money, wasn't it? And made a huge. Amount I of money. expect it was probably a fairly low budget. Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, it is another found footage, which is why I'm thinking of it. I have seen Cloverfield. I did enjoy it, uh, but I'd like to see it again. Right. So <clears throat> I'm going to suggest this then. Cloverfield uh, is the first part of a three movie franchise, at least so far. Yes. yes have you is. seen the others? Have I seen the others? You mean Cloverfield 2 and Cloverfield 3? Or are they not called that? They're not that? called that, but we'll called? go with that for the moment. Uh, no, I don't think I have. Right, so, so we're going to watch Cloverfield, 
And we're going to yeah. watch 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is the second of the Cloverfield franchise. And if you feel really like it, we could watch the third one, but I'm not... I, I think two is enough. <laughs> You're asking me to do a, a thematic multi-movie viewing this week is that right Richard is that what you're asking of me maybe you want to ask that question again without dropping your Tupperware it wasn't Tupperware it was an empty carton of uh, of uh, podcast juice (laughs) as everybody knows you can't do a podcast without podcast juice indeed well I'll tell you what I'll go along with what you want me to do which is to watch twice as many movies as I'm comfortable watching (laughs) uh uh, and we'll watch Cloverfield and 13 Cloverfield... 10 Cloverfield Lane. 10 Cloverfield Lane. Okay, so for anybody listening who wants to write a letter, or doesn't want to write a letter, before next week, could you please do your homework and watch those two movies with us? That's it for Drive-By um, Cinema this week. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing the first two of the Cloverfield franchise with me, Rick, and my co-host, Paul. Yeah, yeah, and so do join us next time.